This is the Uncommon Christian Podcast with Michael Hinton. Well, hey everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today for episode 42. If you haven't been here, if you haven't listened in a while, you could go back to the episode titled It's Been a While. Just I'll keep saying this for the next couple of weeks or couple episodes uh we i introduced a new format for the podcast and so there'll be an episode a new episode about every two weeks or so so about twice a month and we just finished this two-part series called perspective where we walk through two important uh perspectives i believe anyone who follows jesus should have especially in this current mid to post pandemic era of our culture. So if you haven't listened to that, man, I highly recommend you going back to check that out. Check it out because it'll be so good uh, for you. Today, we are kicking off a new series of conversations that I've entitled How to Survive Cancel Culture. Okay. So I think it'll be fun. I'm really excited for uh, it'll be about a five week series that we're walking through. Uh, so for the next few months, we'll be walking through how to survive cancel culture. Because, I mean, if you think about it, in the first few weeks of the pandemic lockdown, when everything happened, there were like two words uh, that got used more than any other words in the world at that time, okay? The first word was unprecedented. You heard that so much, like what's happening is unprecedented. This uh, infection rate is unprecedented. Uh, people who are losing their lives, it's unprecedented. The way the world is changing right before our eyes, it was unprecedented, right? So that was one of the words. And then the other word we heard a lot was canceled. Now, just think about it. Movie premieres, concerts, sporting events, including the rest of the 2020 NBA regular season, had all been canceled as the world was you know, trying to figure out how to uh, combat the spread of the COVID-19 Uh, virus. So that word canceled became a huge word. And in the midst of that word being just canceled, like things were being canceled, it actually began to take another form, a more profound and, dare I say, more damaging meaning. It went from just canceling events and gatherings to wholesale canceling people, canceling companies, even states got canceled. I mean, you named it, right? And the question is why? That's the question I kept asking myself. Question others have asked is why? Why in a country that prides itself, you know, on the freedom to express yourself and your opinions, all of a sudden reverses itself into a shaming and condemning culture, especially if your opinions or your actions didn't line up with culturally approved things? I mean, it used to be that we could have differing opinions, including ones that challenge culturally approved mores. And, and we were able to have debates that, you know, actually used real facts and sound, you know, argumentation. But now, oh, no, if a person does or says something that runs countercultural to the current cultural preferences, well, we opt to cancel that person. Man, I've seen where we've counseled musicians who may have said or used words that were harmful, sure, but we've literally counseled them. We've we've taken their music and we've made sure that they are no longer able to do what they love to do, right? I've seen where we've burned jerseys of famous athletes and posted pictures on social media having a quote-unquote burning party 
because we didn't like what that athlete said or did or what they stood for. We canceled them. And what we've done is we've taken basically the socially guilty and we've hoisted them on a pike for all to see in the public opinion, in the square of public opinion, right? So that they could face their shame and they could be eradicated. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a level of accountability we should all have for the actions we take part in, for the words we say, or for the things we do. I am not dismissing accountability, okay? I think it's important. But canceling is not about accountability. It's about shame, and it's about eliminating the opposition and forcing someone to self-silence themselves. Now, let me give you an example of how this was played out, okay, in our country. I recently read a story about a high school student who had been accepted to Harvard, okay? The student was 18 and had just was just about to graduate from high school. Now, someone who who either knew the student or knew of the student and knew that that student was going to Harvard decided to do a deep dive into his social media and found some messages that he posted way back when when he was like 15 or 16, okay? And that person took screenshots of those messages and he forwarded them to the admissions office at Harvard. Think about that. Dug deep into this student's social media, found posts that he had posted two to three years ago and forwarded it to the admission office at Harvard. The student's acceptance was rescinded due to those messages, okay? Now, the student comes out later and he posts a message to Harvard and on social media. And he said, and I quote, I see the world through different eyes and I am embarrassed by the petty, flippant kid represented in those screenshots. Okay. I mean, he apologized profusely. Harvard's admissions committee did not back down, however, and voted to keep him out from attending the university. Again, this student's comments were inappropriate in the strongest of sense. Okay, don't don't hear me not say that there, there is some accountability to that. And he recognized that and he apologized, yet he was canceled. And not just by Harvard, but by many on Twitter. I'll never forget one of the replies I saw in response to the screenshot. Somebody re- replied with a meme that said, I'm about to end this man's whole career. This is what cancel culture has done to us as a people group. It forces a single mistake to become unforgivable. Instead of seeing it it as just a guilty act, cancel culture makes a mistake as the definition of someone's entire self. Instead of being a person who made a mistake, cancel culture says you are a shameful person, someone who can be canceled. And if we're being honest, we all get caught up in it. The momentum that develops from being part of it. I mean, I'm just as guilty as the next person. When I've seen people say hateful words, when when I've seen what I've perceived to be oppression of a people group, when someone has made a mistake that really bothered me, I've wanted them canceled. Yeah, I'm guilty. I've wanted them to pay for their mistakes. But if I'm being honest, as I sit here, I wonder what people would do if they peeked into my luggage of mistakes, which are too many to count. Would I cancel myself if my baggage was dumped out for the world to see? And honestly, 
The answer is, I hope I would be shown just a little bit of grace. And if that's my wish, I can only imagine that there would be the hope and the wish of those who had made their mistakes and those mistakes had become known, that they would be shown some mercy, some kindness, gentleness, patience, grace, and love in their worst moments. So if you're listening to this episode, my assumption is that for the most part, you are a follower of Jesus. But if you're listening to this podcast in this episode and you would say, well, Michael, I'm not a follower of Jesus. That's totally okay. I don't want you to stop listening. I still believe we can all, regardless of our faith status, can benefit from understanding and an acknowledgement that none of us want to live in the shame of cancel culture, right? And Here's the thing. There's a story in the New Testament of the Bible um, in the writings of one of Jesus' disciples, a guy by the name of John. Okay, In the ninth chapter, we read about a blind young man who has an unforgettable encounter with Jesus that ends up with him receiving his sight for the first time. And normally, we tend to read that and we celebrate, and then we just kind of move on. But it's the events following that I want to bring into focus, Okay. That event ended up igniting a confrontation between Jesus and what is referred to as the Pharisees, but I'm just going to refer to them as the religious teachers, okay? The religious teachers of of Jesus' day. They were upset that Jesus healed this young man's sight, that Jesus had, quote-unquote, worked on the Sabbath. Now, whether what you may know of the Sabbath, I'm just going to give a basic overview. The Sabbath was commanded by God in the Old Testament as a day of rest from work and spent honoring the Lord. Now, the religious teachers of the day took that command so far from its original meaning and decreed that no work, absolutely nothing, could be done on that day. Okay, So Jesus doing a healing on that day would be a direct violation of their law. So the religious teachers wanted to get evidence against Jesus so they could accuse him of breaking the law. So they head over to this young man's house, okay? And when interrogated by the religious teachers, the young man's parents were so afraid to admit that Jesus healed him that they made them ask their son. John writes, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Basically, anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be canceled. The biggest public shame of all, right? But Jesus, after hearing that the young man had been thrown out of the church, basically, seeks him out and reveals to him with such grace and authority that he was the promised Messiah. He gave that man not only physical sight, but also the precious gift of spiritual sight. You see, in cancel culture, we are defined by our latest mistakes. Social recovery is rare, but being canceled doesn't have to define those who are canceled. It doesn't have to define you or me. Jesus, after all, counted canceled people of his day, like tax collectors and zealots and prostitutes and among those he would call disciples. Jesus was unwilling to cancel Thomas, who doubted him. He was unwilling to cancel Peter, who denied him three times, or even his half-brother, James, who, who 
refuse to believe in him. So, how do we survive what cancel culture has done? How do we survive what cancel culture is doing and will continue to do if we don't do something about it? So, here's how I want to kind of put this. How about we start with a little word called mercy? How about we just start there, okay? Pastor Mike Roberts, who was a guest on episode three, put it best. He said, grace and mercy are twins. They both give us things. Grace gives by giving. Mercy gives by withholding. I love the way Pastor Rusty George, who's been a guest on this podcast as well, puts it. He says, justice without mercy makes the just the oppressor. You see, mercy is compassion for forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Mercy is having compassion when you can have something else, when you can punish or harm someone. Instead of punishing and harming them, you show them compassion and you forgive them. It's why one of the most well-known sermons of, of Jesus, he begins with what I call the nine core values of the kingdom of God. And our uh, the community to which I belong to, Real Life Church, we're going through a series called What If Jesus Was Serious? And we're looking at those nine core values. And in those values, God says, or Jesus says, sorry, he says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Man, that's a huge statement. Being merciful means we are willing to listen, then deciding whatever someone is going through, it's worthy of you and me entering their mess, entering their pain, entering their suffering, and helping them out, even if they may not deserve it. Now, this idea of being merciful isn't just like a one-time, get out of jail free card, here's your mercy card that you give them and don't, don't, better use it wisely. It's not just offering mercy once, it's a lifestyle. It's a posture that you and I have to take and live out daily. Now, I won't sit here and tell you that I'm like this super merciful person because that 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 would honestly be be lying. I am not. I could struggle with that. I could tell you that, you know, it's dependent upon the offense. Like I'm more merciful on some offenses than I am on others. And I would suspect that most of you are probably like me, right? There are some things that you'd be more merciful on than other things. But Jesus doesn't say God blesses those who are merciful sometimes. He says God blesses those who are merciful, period. I don't know about you, but I could use some mercy pretty much every day. There have been many times over the course of the last 36 years where I found myself, and I'm sure you can remember times where you found yourself at the footstool of someone who has given us mercy. And we may not have deserved it at the time, but nonetheless, it was extended to us. And Jesus says, the more you show mercy, the more you'll be shown mercy. The more you show mercy, the more you'll be shown mercy. The more you and I are willing to withhold punishment and get into the mess with someone who may not deserve it, the more you and I will be afforded the same mercy in return. So what does that practically look like? Well, maybe when someone says something harmful or hateful and they actually apologize, instead of assuming that they're only doing it to save their butts, what if we gave them the benefit of the doubt? What if we assume the best about their apology? 
How about this? Maybe when someone posts something that you don't agree with, that maybe that post challenges your political ideology, instead of shaming them, what if we offered to listen? What if we offered to hear them out? Invited them out for a cup of coffee or something. And then, and if after that you still disagree, and, and I still disagree, well, then let's just agree to disagree in love. How about, well... How about if someone makes a mistake, maybe a big mistake, maybe it's a moral failure or they do something just really bad or they, you know, really just kind of bite the dust, right? And they have a publicly and a privately, they've repented. They've gone to the appropriate people. They've confessed it to God. Instead of hushing them away quietly from your church, your group or your home, How about we look for ways to restore, just as Jesus does with Peter and Thomas and James and Paul and me and you. The goal should always be restoration, restoration to friendship, restoration to relationship, restoration to ministry. Why? Because the greatest act of mercy was shown to us when we didn't deserve to be welcomed back into God's good graces. Jesus died so that mercy would win the day. I don't know about you, but I never, ever want to forget that. I want all the mercy I can get. So let's make it a goal to show all the mercy we can possibly show. I want to thank you for listening today. And if this was helpful for you, would you do me a favor, a big favor, and share this with others? Also, I'd love it if you would provide a positive rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts because it'll help this show reach more people. And that's what it's all about. You guys know what I say. This is not about fame or popularity. This podcast is all about encouraging and inspiring every Christian to love Jesus and to live out their purpose in uncommon ways. Thanks for joining and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Christian Podcast with Michael Hinton. For more information on today's topic, visit uncommonchristianpodcast.com.